All right, joined now by my guy, Brian Toporek of Liberty Ballers, Forbes, and host of the NBA podcast with our guy, Morton Stig Jensen. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Brian, Philadelphia 76ers, alley-oop correspondent here. (laughs) The Philadelphia 76ers are now first in net rating on Cleaning the Glass. This has been, I think, a pleasant surprise for how the (laughs) post-James Harden era has gone. Uh, where, Where do you want to start? I would describe the entire season so far as a pleasant surprise. Like if you told me a month ago that the vibes for the Sixers would be better than the vibes for the Eagles when they were 10 and one, I would be telling you you're crazy. And now I'm telling you everyone in Philadelphia has moved on We're we're done with the Eagles. We just, (laughs) they're the fraudulent ones. And now it's, it's all Sixers. So yeah, it's been a, you know, I think everyone thought the Harden stuff was going to drag on a lot longer than it did. So just being free of that earlier than expected was a great surprise. But now seeing how Joel Embiid has leveled up under Nick Nurse, seeing what Tyrese Maxey is doing in place of James Harden, and then seeing some of these role players step up around those two guys, all of it's been gravy so far. I mean, they've got a lot of work to do still, a very important, you know, two months or I guess a month and a half before the trade deadline. And then also this off season free agency trades, whatever they do. So critical time for them, but you got to feel good about where they are relative to the entire off season. When everyone was like, blow up the whole team, start from scratch. Yeah, It, it has been a massive turnaround, a crazy turnaround, an unexpected turnaround in so many ways. And I've got to give Daryl Morey so much credit He got a lot of crap. He got a lot of crap for the way that he handled the Ben Simmons, James Harden trade. I think he learned from that just on the outside looking in. Just like, hey, these interpersonal dynamics, really stressful when you're having to deal with that. So moving on and getting the right deal for Harden at the time that he did was a massive, massive boon. And just getting Nicholas Batum, who's been such an awesome fit for the team, getting Robert Covington back, who obviously Philly fans are so over the moon thrilled to have. Marcus Morris has been in. KJ Martin hasn't really played, but like those two in particular, they've made things so much easier for the hard or for the Maxi and B duo in so many ways. Just how has the new starting line? Because I've seen some crazy numbers, some net rating numbers for that starting lineup. Can you share some of those just off the cuff? Yeah, let me see if I can pull them up because I know oh, exactly I, I, what you're talking about. <laughs> I did it. I yes. didn't mean to to, to no, 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 do no. that. Um, no, but it has you're... been so cool. It's been so cool to see the way that that's especially the Maxi Melton, Covington, Batum, and B lineup because I think that lineup is like plus thirty or something. Yeah, the so the lineup of Maxi Melton, Batum, Harris, and Bead, their nominal starting five when everyone is healthy, mm-hmm. uh, has played four hundred and sixty-seven possessions. They are a plus thirty-three point three. That's that disgusting. That frankly, I am appalled that other teams have allowed them to do that. That's insanity. <laughs> it's, I mean, ironically, the the lineup leading all lineups right now only played 105 possessions together, but it's the Clippers with James Harden, Norm Powell, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Zubac. So that's funny. But maybe it's it a win win trade for both teams. <laughs> Who knows? But Who yeah, I, I mean, honestly. That, Honestly, that's fine. Like, I, I would love to frame it that way. I don't know what it's going to look like in the playoffs for both of these two, those two teams, but it does feel like, at least in the moment, everybody's happy. Everybody got what they wanted, and that is really cool. I did not expect that from the way that the Clippers started, but it's nice that this has worked out in a positive way. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, Batum in particular 
has just been this connective tissue that they've been missing throughout, really, honestly, most of the Joel Embiid era. Sure. Uh, he already might be the best entry passer on the team, which is something that they've long struggled with, with Embiid. And as it turns out, it's important to have a good entry passer when you have a seven foot two MVP in the middle of your Shocker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Covington, as you mentioned, honestly, he's kind of fallen out of the rotation as of late, which is irking a lot of Sixers fans because every time yeah. he hits the floor, good things happen defensively in particular. I mean, he's just the, he has been the king of deflections since he's been in the league. And that's still, you know, 10 years in has not changed. So, do you, think, you, know, do you th- think there's something physical that's going on there? Because the same thing happened with the Clippers and Clippers fans were just irate that he wasn't playing for a while. So is this just something that like he can't do? I think there was some off-court stuff going on last year from my mm. understanding, which influenced that. I think I, I can't tell, honestly. I like I think the Sixers ironically just have too many guys and not enough minutes to go around right now. And maybe that changes after the trade deadline. But you know, as of right now, Marcus Morris is ahead of him in the rotation. Um, Batum obviously is, Tobias Harris is, and then Kelly Oubre Jr. is as well. So they just have more wing slash forward depth than they've had the past 10 years. And Covington hmm. is the odd man out for now. But I would not be surprised if that changes at some point between now and the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those trust guys that I have to imagine that they're going to want to play. But who knows? Like, that this, this situation is always evolving with the team. Um, Joel Embiid, we got to mention that. Like, I, I've mm-hmm. been dancing around the subject long enough. He's been the best player in the NBA so far this season, especially permanent basis. I think some numbers have Jokic as, like, the cumulative MVP, but, like, with the minutes gap at this point. But Joel Embiid per minute has been just unbelievable. What, what's been working so well for him this year just with this new setup? Yeah, well, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, more points than minutes played right now, which is something that hasn't been done since the 60s with Wilt Chamberlain. So that's, wow. you know, him him being a dominant scorer is not a surprise. He's led the league in scoring the last two years. He's again leading the league with a career high 35.0 points right now. You know, started the season kind of slow by his standards or like scored well, but was not as efficient. His efficiency has really ticked back up as of late, yeah. which is nice to see. Also shooting a career high 89.3% from the free throw line. I know bringing up Joel Embiid free throws. How dare me? Uh, but that's really hey, You impressive. might as well make them if you get there, right? Yeah, like if you're drawing 11.6 free throws per game, which is what he's doing right now. The fact, you know, that's what separates him from the Shaquille O'Neal's and the Dwight Howard's of the world is that he can actually make you pay for sending him to the line as much as teams do. Giannis, uh, frankly, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other big thing, and this is really a team-wide thing, which is just a Nick Nurse staple, they were so bad at offensive rebounding under Doc Rivers, he just didn't care about it at all. They are much better collectively as a team. They are heading into tonight, at least. They were 12th in offensive rebounds per game. And Bede has 2.8 offensive rebounds per game, which is uh, technically tying a career high, but take it all out, out to the decimal points, and it is a career high for him as well. And you could see it especially in the Lakers game they played earlier this month. I mean, he made such a concerted effort on some of these possessions. He just, like, literally shoved Anthony Davis out of the way. It was like, you're just too small, nice. and I'm going to dominate, <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, like, that's how you manufacture these easy points. It's not just these 16-foot 
foul line jumpers, it's grab an offensive rebound and you're just too big and too strong and you're either going to dunk it or you're going to get fouled. Like it's very rare that you're going to have any out- other outcome of that play. So that's been you know, a, an under the radar improvement for him. But obviously the passing is what's uh, drawn the most attention so far, a career high 6.0 assists per game. You know, I think a lot of this is honestly due to Harden's departure and the arrival of Nick Nurse. Because now they're they even going back to training camp, they said we're going to run a much more egalitarian style. It's like kind of true. I mean, <laughs> Pete and Maxi definitely it, dominate. It is kind of funny how how that kind of evolves. Like egalitarian means, hey, Maxi is going to have the ball half the time, and Embiid's going to have the ball <laughs> half the time. <laughs> right. right. I mean, like they are empowering more guys to run the ball. Like if you rebound. You don't have to, you know, pass it back to Harden, who's going to take eight seconds to cross the half court line. Like they are sure. empowering a Tobias Harris. If you've got a mismatch, go attack it in transition. Especially same with Ubre and Melton down the line. But yeah, I mean, Embiid is definitely, you know, still leading the team by far in shot attempts per game. Maxi isn't far behind him. Um, the thing. Well, and here's a good number for you. Like they're ninth in transition frequency in terms yeah. of how often they are getting out in transition and using that as an opportunity for them. And Maxie's going to be a big part of that. And Bede also has pushed the ball a little bit more and also kicking the ball ahead a little bit more, which is helpful. But like like you said, when, when you do not have to tether yourself to the half-court point guard, that is going to evolve. And I, that's a, that is a great change for them. It has helped them get up to that second inefficiency uh, that they have been craving to. They're second on offense, third on defense right now, and first in net rating. Like, that is a a tremendous jump and makes a lot of sense from a math standpoint. And I think it's going to help them even in the playoffs, too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, you know, partially a personnel issue as well. They actually have wings and forwards who can run, and they sure. have wings and forwards who can cut, which is also something we didn't see a ton out of Doc Rivers. Doc hammered the James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll and just spread guys out in the perimeter. You didn't see a lot of off-ball movement. Now, when Embiid's drawing a double team, someone's cutting to the basket. So, like, that was, especially early in the season, like, Kelly Oubre was the guy doing that more often than not. And it was, like, a revelation to see, oh, this is allowed? We're allowed to have guys move off the ball when Embiid gets double teamed? And he could just find them for an easy pass and an easy score? What What is this sorcery? So I think... You know, Embiid obviously deserves credit for developing that aspect of his game. No one's saying he is as gifted as a passer, as a Jokic or a Sabonis. He's still got a sure. ways to go. But, you know, six assists per game for a center, like, if not for the likes of Jokic, Shengun, Sabonis, like, that's really impressive. And then add in 35 points, almost 12 rebounds, two blocks. Like, this is the most well-rounded we've ever seen, uh, Joel Embiid, which is terrifying considering he just won MVP last yeah. year. 1.2 steals, 2.0 blocks. Like he he has been, I mean, in, in every aspect, you could not have asked for a better season from him. This is just the yeah. best version of Joel Embiid that we have ever seen. And I know that the MVP conversation is going to get toxic. Toxic. We do not have to talk about that on this particular <laughs> one. He is the MVP of the league right now. If we would do this 30 games in, I, I assume that will change and it will evolve at least in the conversation. But he has been really great. Two numbers that I want to throw out there about Tyrese Maxey. The mm-hmm. first one, plus 8.6 net rating as of the time that I looked at it today. Plus 8.6 net rating with Maxey on and Embiid off. 
is yeah. nuts. Yeah. That is gross. The fact that they have basically taken those Harden plus bench minutes and given them to Maxi and has not lost at all anything has been really, really impressive. Second number, 37.4 minutes per game. That is really high. <laughs> That is, yeah. I know that he's, I know that he's young. I know that's like, and this is a Nick Nurse thing. So we're going to have yep. to monitor this at least, especially later in the season. But just give me the the Tyrese Maxey rundown, what he's done great. And if you're worried at all about the burden and the workload. Yeah. Uh, so to your point about the non, the, the Maxey non-Embiid minutes, I mean, the non-Embiid minutes in general have just been such an issue for the Sixers, basically as long as he's been playing. And now they've just found this division of labor where Embiid plays the entire first and third quarters, typically barring foul trouble or injuries or whatever, uh, comes out at the start of the second, start of the fourth. Maxi just goes into takeover mode for six minutes, and then he come, Embiid comes back in if he needs to. Or, you know, as we've seen throughout this month in particular, oftentimes they're up 15, 20 points, and Embiid just never comes back into the game. Uh, but yeah, Maxi just... They they call him fourth quarter Maxi now because that's just his role and he it sure I think that's <laughs> that's honestly what's impressed me the most or among the things that impressed me the most with him because you know there were these questions going into the season of how he would handle this full time point guard role and not only is he handling it probably better than the Sixers expected uh, Nick Nurse even said that the other night um, but he's also you know, there's a science and, and a maybe not a science, I guess it's more of a feel thing where you have to balance being a scorer versus being a playmaker, especially for someone like Maxi, who isn't, you know, that natural Chris Paul, Tyrese Halliburton type. And sure. he's really managed it well. I mean, he, you know, he goes into the first quarter knowing I'm going to be more in facilitator mode while Embiid is on the floor. And they have developed some incredible two man chemistry together different than the Embiid Harden pick and roll because Harden, you know, as good as Maxi has been, Harden is still a much better passer than him. But Maxi's sure. off ball movement unlocks entirely different dimensions. The defenses have to guard. Whereas, you know, it, it was much more one-sided with Embiid Harden and it's much more, you know, okay, what well, Maxi could pass the ball to Embiid, but then he's going to scoot off the ball and Embiid can pass it right back and it could lead to a layup or they could lead to an open three-pointer or they can do it again. Like, it's it's added such fascinating wrinkles to the Sixers offense. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, that's that's been great. Again, Nick Nurse did say the other night, like, there's still plenty of room for him to grow. And I think, you know, that the, they're going to have 50-ish more games in the regular season for him to continue developing getting those reps, developing that experience, learning from all the different coverages the teams throw at him. He had an awful game against Miami on Christmas, but frankly, you want him to have those types of games from time to time to kind of recalibrate and see how opponents might be guarding him, especially in the playoffs, especially in these non-Embiid minutes when he's going to be the number one you know, focal point for any team to stop. So all in all, I mean, I, I think he's a clear all-star arguably like I think Tyrese Halliburton you can pencil him in for one all, all-star spot in the east you know I sure. think Maxi is right in the conversation with Damian Lillard with I guess Donovan Mitchell I mean I don't I don't see Jalen Brunson like I'd mm. be shocked if he's not an all-star I think all NBA is potentially in play 
and oh, that's yeah. going to be really interesting as well for financial reasons that we could either get into now or at a later date. Um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I, I forgot about that. It's like a $250 million contract or something like that, which could yeah. be very fun. Could be very yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's um, an extra so- 40, 45 ish million riding on the line if he makes all NBA this year. So yeah, we'll that see. would be, that would be interesting to say the least. And, and a nice, uh, nice wrinkle that, that Daryl Murray will then have to deal with for being good <laughs> at his job. Uh, right. yeah, it'd be great. Um, it's been fantastic. I, I know that the the maxi on Embiid off lineups, that will adjust, I think, in the playoffs. I think the teams mm-hmm. will they will dedicate more perimeter defense and starters in, in those minutes against Maxi specifically. Like you'll probably see teams change their rotations a little bit to figure that out, but it is interesting to to monitor. Um okay, here's a game. You get three Sixers. Three Sixers to take a to war with you next to Embiid and Maxi. Who are they in the playoffs? Who are the three guys that you're taking <laughs> with you? Mm. Nick Batum's one of them. Amazing. I love it. Yep. Uh, man, I mean, this feels like a trick question because it's like, which of the guys are you willing to part with at the trade deadline and which are you not? And I mm. think Sixers fans right now would probably be much more willing to part with Tobias Harris than they are either Nick Batum, Kelly Oubre, or even I think De'Anthony Melton and Tobias Harris are the two spots where Sixers fans are like looking to upgrade the most. Interesting. Um, Tobias, honestly, was great for the first month of the season and then just totally nosedived over the last month. Did have uh, a great game the other night, a season high 33 points. I believe that was against the Timberwolves. So that was nice to see. But you know, he is he is the one I'd probably be flakiest on in the starting lineup. Sure. Um Melton. I just I, mean, I, I like the fit of Melton personally because he's always yeah. going to take on the toughest assignment in the backcourt. And it mm-hmm. frees up Maxi in a lot of ways on the offensive end that he doesn't have to focus on the, the defense as much. And that's just so useful. But you could also use a bigger version of Melton for sure. Yeah, Melton, I think there's some PTSD because he missed a couple wide open threes in game six of the playoffs last year mm. as well. Yeah. It's just been it's always been kind of a streaky shooter. Just cannot for the life of him finish in transition. Although he did have a couple made layups tonight in transition against the Magic, which was Dang. as soon as he hit the second one, I was like, all right, this is a Sixers win. The Magic have no <laughs> Found chance. money. Found money. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And That's I, awesome. Yeah, I mean, really like that's the thing about the Sixers is that right now before they make whatever moves they do at the deadline they just have so many interchangeable pieces that you don't necessarily need the same three guys every night like I think and with Nick Nurse in particular like you know he's the mad scientist type like it would not surprise me if he changes starting lineups on a game to game or series to series basis you know, looking at the matchups that each opponent presents and seeing like, okay, maybe this isn't a Kelly Oubre series. Maybe we need to lean Mm -hmm. more on Robert Covington or Patrick Beverly or Marcus Morris or whoever, whoever, you know, trade target X. Um, Do I I, like, honestly, there isn't 
a good answer to that question because I think it's going to change more than it has in past years. If it, I'm sorry okay. if it feels like a cop out, but it, it is certainly a cop out. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so okay, fine. okay. Send Tobias Harris for a crumble cookie. We'll do Batum, Melton, Ubre. There. <laughs> Batum, Melton, and Ubre. I love it. Uh, Ubre, just such a he's an awesome story. Obviously, we talked about him yeah. in the first check in. Uh, awesome story. Glad he's been able to recover from the the accident that he was in. And just good to see him find a new home on a team that is more serious than the Charlotte Hornets. Um, okay. <laughs> high bar to clear. Uh, yeah, yes. I'm not. I, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> what else? If, if you had to pick one thing, one thing, and we'll wrap up with this. What is the one thing that you think the Sixers need to win a title? Yeah, I mean, you alluded to Maxi's minutes earlier, I think. All Sixers fans are hoping they add another ball handler. Pat Bev, honestly, has been better than expected in that regard. Sure. At least he was just so timid on offense early in the season. And now he just kind of seems like he's embraced, you know, like when I'm on the floor, I'm I'm going to shoot. Like I, I, I gum up the works if I pass up open threes and I'm not a great three-point shooter. I'm not a high volume three-point shooter, but I could at least manufacture a couple baskets a game or a couple points a game and since since that switch has flipped the need isn't as dire but i do think they are probably one ball handler short uh now maury has said you know they are looking to trade for guys who are going to be in their top eight or nine and that nick nurse is already struggling with you know having a guy like a robert covington or a daniel house who you know ideally you would play but there's just not enough room in the rotation so that implies, yeah, I mean, it implies that, you know, backup point guard is either not a huge priority for him or he's like shooting for someone who could be somewhat interchangeable as like low end starter, high end backup, maybe like a Dennis mm. Schroeder, you know, is someone of that caliber, not necessarily mm. Schroeder uh, as the guy. So I don't know who that might be because they're also, you know, I'd say the messaging has been pretty consistent from basically everyone that isn't Sham Sharania that sure. they're they're not targeting just a one-way player, even if it's an elite one-way player like Zach Levine, they want a two-way guy. So, you know, we'll start to whittle down, okay, who are the low-end starter backup point guard who are two-way players that aren't just turnstiles on defense and, you know, who are realistically obtainable by the deadline like you know uh, I, a monte morris is one or like a tyus jones i think those guys are probably going to be available but i sure. don't know if they they clear the bar that the sixers are looking to clear for whoever they go after so i think it's going to set up for a very fascinating next couple weeks i think they're going to look you know obviously they got the feast on a lot of cupcakes for most of December, their schedule does get a bit tougher in January, so I think it'll be, you know, a little bit more instructive to see how they, you know, they've got the game against Denver midway through the month. You know, they do have a lot of the Utah and Chicago. Oh. I know they're playing better. Oh. Atlanta, God. Charlotte, San Antonio. Yes, yeah, so it they, never they do ends. Have, they do have some <laughs> some uh, Easter Conference cupcakes as well, but like they've got a five game road trip at the end of January: Indiana, Denver, Portland, Golden State, Utah. You know, Portland, Utah should be pretty easy, but I think 
that will at least help inform some of their decision making. Like, I don't think they make a move. I'd be shocked even if it happened in January. Like, I, I think it's just going to go right up until the deadline. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they take this next month to see like, all right, first of all, let's see who stays healthy. Like if we yeah. are in the same shape that we are a month from now, that's instructive. Because if not, you know, if Maxi goes down, God forbid, or Embiid, or even a Tobias Harris, like that changes who we might be looking for. And then let's revisit this after that five game road trip. Come back, you know, February 2nd, February 3rd. Okay, now let's dial down and figure out exactly what we need. But I would definitely say backup ball handlers top priority. Um, no, obviously you'd love a like high end three and D wing, like a OG Ananobi, Mikhail Bridges would be wonderful. I don't think either of them is realistically available. Um, sure. but I will say I have, or I think there is a, a war coming to Sixers Twitter. If it hasn't already, there's going to be a faction of people who want Daryl Moore to go star hunting, look for that third, you know, let's, let's form our own big three. And then there's going to be a, a big two in depth camp. And I'm pretty firmly in the latter. I just think the way this new CBA is set up, especially if Maxi gets the 30% max, it, it's going to be really, really prohibitive to build around three guys on max contracts, especially you know, if you can sign the third guy in free agency and you don't have to give up draft picks for him, maybe. But that creates some other problems that they'll have to address. I just like seeing this team with actual depth for the first time in years. Like, I, I don't want to go away from it. It's magical. And I I love this feeling. I, buddy, I'm here to inform you uh, that DeLon Wright and Daniil Gallinari will be Philadelphia 76ers for Marcus <laughs> Morris and uh, Mo Bamba. I am, I'm here to, here to inform you of that. I, um, I wouldn't hate that. And I know there are, there are a couple guys uh, on Sixers Twitter in particular that have been Delon Wright campaigning for him for years. So it does yeah. feel only right to bring him home finally. And uh, he, hey, nice right there. Uh, no, Delon <laughs> Wright makes, uh, he is the the right guy. I think if you're you're, you're looking for a veteran who's not going to screw up, who can switch, who can defend, who can handle, like that's, that's the one. So, uh, and he's an expiring contract, so you get to keep that cap space, baby. Uh, yep, that's <laughs> all right. That's, that's what matters. I, I am, I am here. I'm just, I'm just getting out ahead of it. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, it is going to be fascinating to monitor what the Sixers do. This is a top five team, clearly one of the best teams in the NBA, and hopefully they can, uh, they can break the curse. I am, I am interested to see whether this happens. Uh, but he is Brian Toporek of Forbes, Liberty Ballers, and the NBA Podcast. Brian, thank you so much for stopping by, hanging out with me, man. Let's chat in six weeks right around the trade deadline, all right? That sounds good. Anytime, Ryan. All right. Um, 